Hello, welcome to some Drifts Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Season Passes, Battle Passes, what have you. Before we do that, I do want to show the folks that don't want to do this, we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we talk about games, and uh, and I guess today is going to be a real crunchy games episode, right? Talking about, you know, monetization strategies for, for games coming out. Yep. <coughs> so... Part of the inspiration for this is I've been delving pretty deeply back into Destiny um, and uh, and also Magic the Gathering Online, or Arena, not online, because uh, there's a difference. Uh, and uh, and those both have season passes. I'm engaged with the season passes of both of them. Um, for Magic, it's convenient because the passes kind of align with the set releases, and so there's basically a pass for the set. Um, Destiny 2... The way it works is, is like every, every so often it's like three or four times a year they'll sell you a season pass. You can also get it with the, um, with the expansion pack. If you get the deluxe edition, you get the whole thing. Um, and uh, it's just kind of been like a thing that's taken the industry by storm. I guess I guess it really started with Fortnite, um, and then quickly spread out to all of the other BRs. And then it started bleeding into other games. Now it's basically in everything that, that can be broadly described as a games as a service. With, like, kind of the notable exception of your classic MMOs. And that's because uh, they already have you on the hook for a subscription fee. So, um, and I, I think my, my big kind of overarching point is that Battle Passes are effectively the new subscription fees. Um Okay. It's interesting because to me, the etymology of Battle Passes kind of stretches back to DLC chunks, right? You know, like a Battle Pass, or I'm sorry, a Season Pass really is what, is what I'm getting at. It's something, that I, it's something that I bought that was a Season Pass a long time ago was, um, you know, a 4X game called Anno 1800 that Ubisoft put out. And basically what they did is they added DLCs, right? They, right. they said, hey, we have a full year of DLC planned. They're going to pop here, here, and here. Here's a brief overview of what those DLCs are like. Would you like to buy a season pass for all of those DLCs? And I said yes to that, right? Which is actually kind of funny because I did buy that season pass and then didn't play the game for three years, right? Uh, but obviously when I came back to it, now all of a sudden I, I had those, those sort of DLCs in my inventory. And over the course of the years, um, NO1800 picked up three more season passes, right? You know, for a total of, I think, 12 DLCs that are, I think they're in year four of DLCs right now. That, to me, seems like the classic season pass formula. A season pass describes a bundling of, like, a year's worth or a couple of months' worth of DLCs all into one package that someone who kind of knows that they are, you know, like, hooked on this thing, they know that that person is going to take it, right? Okay, so that's, that's um, interesting, because that is, that is really the first thing that was called the season pass and i'm sure that's why yeah. the fortnite thing was initially called the battle pass and the fortnite one is called the battle pass but that's actually a very different thing than your your, your typical kind of games as a service seasonal content battle pass type thing which you know now, now that you pointed out the uh the textual ambiguity there it's going to be tough to kind of separate the two um, yeah, no, it definitely will. And I think what happened is, you know, that language, right, is something that people latched onto, right? Like, like executives in the industry kind of latched onto as the idea of like, oh, wow, people are really willing to pay up front 
for content that we are planning to release down the line, right? So what I think initially started as this sort of convenience factor, I am just going to bundle these three DLCs together into one convenient price for you. you. If you are a lifer, you know, a diehard for the Anno 1800 game, you can just get all three of those DLCs packaged, right? Like, you can imagine something like Stellaris. They talked about the Stellaris DLC coming out. Well, there's no, there's no season passes for Stellaris, but Stellaris or Total War Warhammer 3, right, or, you know, EU, EU4, you know, we presume Vicky 3, Hearts of Iron, right? Like, all of these sorts of 4X games have this, this model where they are effectively games as a service where you pay once every three or four months for the next the, the next dlc right whether that's a big dlc like overlord right or a, a relatively small dlc like the aquatic species pack for stellaris for instance right or, or like a, um, a song pack or something it's, you know what's really funny is it, it's kind of come full circle because eu4 now has like a straight like 15 dollars a month subscription service that gives you access to all the dlc so you don't have to buy them all at like you know, three or four hundred dollars. Oh my god, really? Yeah. Wow, I should get back into EU4. I always say this, but I never actually I never actually do it. Once EU4 changed the rules of trade that I literally spent hours learning, like watching YouTube I must have watched maybe ten or fifteen hours of YouTube videos just explaining in incredible minute details like the mechanics of trade in <laughs> in Europa Universalis, right? I was just like, I can't, I can't anymore. But like, so I, I feel like that's the genesis, right? You, you have some of these games that are effectively games as service, but they periodically update with DLCs. That is their business model. Every few months, you're going to pay 20 bucks for for the, the new DLC to Warhammer 3 or whatever, get a new race, get a new, get a new Lord, get some new units, etc., and kind of, um, and kind of like move to that next piece. Then that stuff started getting bundled up into season passes. Then I think whoever it was who had the idea for the battle pass basically looked at that and realized that people are willing to kind of lay away, like, like pay up front for layaway content if that makes sense right and instead of having it sort of be this promise of we know we're releasing dlcs and i'm just offering you all of the dlcs for one bulk price right up front essentially pre-ordering three dlcs at once the, that person was essentially like well what if we specifically kind of make content for you know, like for this season and we and we gate it Right. Um, because famously, once something is out, like, you know, if if Batman, I can't believe I'm saying this, if Batman is like the Fortnite skin for, for the duration of the battle pass or whatever, once that battle pass expires, you can't get it anymore. Right. Like it is utilizing that FOMO, uh, that fear of missing out to get you to get you kind of like on board and uh, uh, and and playing the game and putting the time in and everything. Um and that, and I feel like that is the the linear progression from sort of season from sort of like linear DLC endgame kind of content to where we are today, sort of with battle passes, quote unquote season passes, right? Um, sure. As people are kind of like looking to finish that stuff out, and and you can step it backwards too, right? Like you have the DLC, which is the first first two. The thing I like to say, and, and I'm not sure this is totally true, but the first two widespread pieces of DLC were for Oblivion, and they were horse armor, which was really bad. And um, uh, the Frozen Isle, the 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 adventure DLC for Oblivion, which is really good. So we had like the first yeah. two pieces of DLC were like the were the extremes of like what could be very would be well done and what could be terribly done. Um, uh, which is I mean I do want to I do want to split a little bit of the hairs because like 
expansion packs were a thing, right? You know, you had StarCraft, right. you had StarCraft so, Brood War, right? You had I, Warcraft I Tides say, of Darkness, you had the Frozen Throne, etc. DLC comes out of expansion packs, which were typically yeah. meatier and typically heavier. And the, part of that... Oh, I see. Yeah, so part of yeah. that, too, was just kind of like internet infrastructure also developed. Like, there's a bunch of things that happened during this time that I think pushed these trends, right? Like, internet infrastructure delivers so that, like, doing... DLC as a concept is viable, right? Like, up until, like... Probably around, like, Oblivion, the DLC was also sold on physical media because you couldn't rely on people having an internet connection that was strong enough to download that much information. Um, and so DLC becomes, like, a doable as we move into the future. Right? This is also around the yeah, same time. Yeah, as broadband like, internet takes over, 2005, yeah. 2006, 2007. And, like, digital game purchases as, like, a thing, right? Like, you know, like, there was, there was like, a weird period, and I want to say, like, the, the aughts, where, like, you would buy, like, a physical disc... It was probably like the late aughts, but like and you put it in and it would just install it on Steam, right? Like maybe it would save you the download by like having the media, you know, having the, the files on the disc. But like, you know, like Civilization Five, I think I bought the physical disc for it in college and I put it into my computer and it just like, you know, booted up on Steam. Um, yeah, that actually, I think I, I went through that. Same, I think I have the, the, oh, I'm sorry. I think I have the Civ Five disc over there on my shelf. Like, yeah. Um, and then, so the, the other thing I want to I point out about this, just because I think you're generally right, is I think part of the economic force that's, like, that's been driving this trend as well is, one, the rise of free-to-play games, right? Because, like, the kind of purest form of a battle pass, right? The Fortnite is, it's on top of a free-to-play game, and it's all cosmetics, right? So you can't yell about it being pay-to-win, which is always a thing mm -hmm. that people are, are uh, uh, concerned about. And... Um, and you also, you don't have to participate if you don't want to. And you can still, like, you know, if only 5 to 10% of your player base buys the battle pass, you're still raking in the money. You still have enough of an active player base because there are people playing without it and engaging with the systems in other ways, right? Like, um, I'm sure, I can't remember if this was in the Fortnite launch, but, like, whoever came up with the idea of, like, the free tier alongside the um, the paid tier, Um Really pretty genius, and I want all. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a YouTube video on this called "Manufacturing Discontent" by uh, Dan Olson. You know the foldable human. I, I've referenced him a bunch of times. He's just like a YouTuber or whatever, and he is, is pretty scathing about like the Fortnite Battle Pass, right? Like he thinks that it's pretty predatory from kind of like an economic perspective. Um, but I think an interesting counterpoint to that philosophy is a is a video from another YouTuber um, named. Uh, uh, Aaron Signal, uh, Campster is like his his like thing Handle. or whatever. He has he has sort of a follow up video where he kind of agrees with like the underlying principles of Dan Olson's video, but like sort of interprets them a little bit differently. His video is called I think the party that's a platform, right? Or the platform that's a party, which is which is like Fortnite, and he sort of talks about how a good battle pass offers you like it, it's it's. It's not a carrot and a stick, right? It is showing you the party and then showing you the VIP room to the party, right? Like, the free experience of Fortnite is fun and is cool, and there is a lot of value in that piece of the Battle Pass, right? But if you want a little bit more, yes, you can go into the VIP area or whatever, in the metaphor, right? Um, which is, which allows you to kind of really experience more and, like, maximize that whatever it is, that piece of that piece of the content, right? Um, which I do think is an interesting distinction because the way that Dan frames it in his video is that that free tier on the bottom is kind of like the dog shit tier that 
like it just sort of keeps you there and engaged but really what it's supposed to be there is for is as a mark of contrast to how cool everything on the paid tier is right to sort of constantly pressure you to buy the paid tier because every time you know you level up and unlock something on the free tier well man you're just looking at all that stuff on the paid tier you could have you could have gotten you could be getting right um and i think that that's like that's an interesting a tough thing to parse so i so i definitely agree that that's the purpose of the free tier um but i will say that like just kind of like you know I wouldn't call that predatory because otherwise the game is free, right? Like, like mm. I think, like, as far as I can tell, and I'm not, I'm, I am not an expert on Fortnite since I have not played much Fortnite, but from my understanding of it is that for the Fortnite Battle Pass is pretty close to the Platonic ideal of a Battle Pass, right? There's a free tier, so you at least get something. The game is otherwise completely free. The things you get out of the, uh, out of the Battle Pass do not affect gameplay in any way, shape, or form. It's just co it's pure cosmetics. And if you play through and get all the way to the end of the battle pass, you will get enough, you know, premium currency to buy the next battle pass, assuming you don't spend it on anything else. Which is kind of like, you know, theoretically, if you are a dedicated Fortnite player, right, you buy one battle pass, and that's the only battle pass you ever buy. Um, I think that's pretty, that's, I think it's probably as good as you can get in a way that's, that would be, like, sustainable, right? Like, obviously, it relies on people not finishing out those battle passes and then purchasing the next one, right? Like, casual players, right? Whereas... Um, you know, uh, by comparison, League of Legends, right, which doesn't have a, or now it has passes, but like, um, at least in original conception, right, like, you know, you could earn every champion for free, but as my boyfriend said, you know, when I was a kid, I had more time than money, and so I would earn these things, or, you know, I could see myself earning these things. As an adult, I have more money than time, so I'm just gonna go buy a fucking champion, right? Like, um, and I think, I actually think that from like a, you know, I would just like to buy this thing perspective, Battle passes are worse because, like you said, there's a lot of stuff that's, like, locked on the battle pass only. And I think the, the the point where you get to, like, some really dodgy stuff is when you have, like, highly desirable rewards on the battle pass that you can only get on the battle pass. And then you're encouraging people who would spend to buy levels, which is not going to be a cheaper, you know, thing than actually playing the game. But that's Yeah, like, that's definitely interesting. The battle pass that I am most familiar with is the Hearthstone battle pass, right? Because that's the one, you know, like, that's the one that I'm playing in right now. Sure. And I sort of wonder where that stacks up. Because the Hearthstone battle pass was met with a lot of criticism right off the gate. I wasn't really playing at this time. This was sort of in, like, one of my breaks from the game where I just, like, wasn't super interested in the meta. Um, but it's interesting because the change that they made... Essentially, the, the, the plan that they had for the Hearthstone Battle Pass was that it was going to include you know, most of the value of the, like, the previous iteration of, like, the daily quests that Hearthstone used to have. It just used to spawn you three daily quests to do every day. Now it spawns those daily quests as well as a set of weekly quests, and those quests all give you experience for the battle pass, right? Um, and every time you level up, you're getting the Hearthstone gold that you would have otherwise used, you know, you used to earn that stuff on the, um... You used to earn that stuff, like, through the quests uh, directly. The Battle Pass itself, first of all, the Battle Pass comes with a bunch of packs, right? Like, if you buy the Battle Pass, you get, like, a like 10 packs or something, right? And the Battle Pass does include a couple of cards that are, like, golden legendaries, right? Um, which are typically a, a sort of, like, cosmetic reward, but it is also something that could be seen as sort of like a gameplay one right so for instance at level uh let's look at level what, what level is this 25 you get a golden legendary for blade master okani right um which is kind of interesting because 
theoretically speaking, does that does that encourage someone to be to be playing uh, Hearthstone so that they can get the Blade Master Okani, you know, legendary? Maybe like I I don't know maybe maybe that's what that's what like the battle pass sort of sort of ends up with it also might be the it also might be the case I don't know I don't know offhand it might be that maybe Okani is the free legendary that you just get right every every Hearthstone expansion comes with one free legendary that they just give to everybody maybe that's Blade Master Okani right and and like the Hearthstone battle pass is just the, this entirely um entirely cosmetic thing but it's interesting to me that the Hearthstone battle pass still has that structure of the 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 paid stuff up top and the free stuff on the bottom but most of the value is in the free section right because of the backlash essentially um where every level that you level up you are getting you know some matter of gold or packs or you know epic cards or you know legendaries or whatever right like you get a free random legendary level 50 for instance um and and it is actually the top layer is the is the one that looks sparse in comparison. Interesting, huh? Are you sure that Are you sure that that's that it, that that you've got that right? Because most of the battle passes I've seen, the premium tiers, the bottom. Are you sure you just don't have it backwards? No, I definitely don't have it backwards. Okay. I, I was actually just looking at it, which is which is sort of which is sort of neat. It, 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 the the game director for the game Ixar, actually talked about this once on in an AMA where he kind of said that the immediate philosophy at the time. Um, was that they were going to put most of like the gold rewards that people could expect into the battle pass, um, natively, but not all. So about 80% would go into just sort of the, the, the gold of the battle pass, but then they would be running very lucrative events every once in a while, right? Basically once a month, Hearthstone will have some events somewhere, right? Whether it's, you know, the fire... I can't believe they call it this. Yeah, it is the Fire Festival, huh? The Fire Festival, which is like a big Ragnaros themed event that lasts for a week, right? Um, there's obviously uh, Hallow's Eve, which is the Halloween event. There's a Christmas event, right? And and his thing was, you know, they wanted to increase the value for a free Hearthstone player, and the way that they planned to do that was to sort of um, include very lucrative events. But then what happened is they released the Battle Pass, and people saw that they only got eighty percent of the value, and they were just like, "This is." this is awful, this is dog shit. So they basically took all of the value out of those events and put it back into, you know, like, and put it back into the battle pass. Um, and I just wonder, like, that kind of interaction is is a really interesting one, right? Because um, Hearthstone is technically free to play in, like, a strict sense. And and I would argue that it is truly free to play for many players, right? If, if somebody wanted to pick up a fun excuse me, metagame Hearthstone deck, it would not be very hard for them to make that decision, right? And support that by just playing the game free to play, right? Hearthstone has uh, made a bunch of changes in the past couple of years to kind of be better about that. The way Hearthstone gets expenses is if, if you want to start running multiple meta decks at any individual time, right? That's kind of where you need to buy, um, you know, like the expansion pre-purchase bundle every couple of months uh, for 60 bucks, basically, right? Uh, it just gives you a, a gazillion cards, typically speaking that's going to be enough to fuel a number of different like meta decks that that anyone would sort of be um that anyone would sort of be looking to run but so that really complicates things compared to something like league of legends or something like Fortnite, right where that stuff isn't really locked away considering you know are all things considered um really realistically when you start playing Fortnite, it's just all there right in front of you there really isn't anything else uh sort of to that to that process 
Yeah, and part part of that is just because like BRs as a genre kind of like you can't like the, the fundamental point is you have to be basically the same otherwise, you know, the game gets kind of out of wax. And there's there's actually some interesting conversation I think about like Warzone and how much how much you have to buy the base COD game that comes out every year in order to be competitive in Warzone because that's the only way you can set up a a good custom class. Um, this is something front of the cast X complains about is that Warzone verges on pay to win. He so I don't agree with this argument entirely, but uh, he he calls Warzone pay to win ish um, because if you don't go and buy the base COD game, you cannot you cannot level up your weapons effectively and you cannot build custom classes effectively, um, which. I understand. I don't totally agree with, but I, I think it's I think it's an interesting point. Um, before we get too far away from it, the thing I wanted to finish out with the economics point is um, is something that that gets talked about a lot, but not I, I don't hear very often in this context. Is the price of a video game now is almost exactly the same as it was like twenty or thirty years ago, cheaper than like in like the eighties even, right? Like um, especially pound for you know, or and in particular, this is an issue because. Uh, inflation, right? Like inflate even yeah. even in times um, where you don't have super high inflation, you still have like about two percent inflation. Um, obviously, we're going through a period of higher inflation right now that that kind of exacerbates this. But if you're if you're paying sixty dollars for a video game in nineteen ninety, and you're paying sixty dollars for a game in twenty fifteen, regardless of the economic, like assuming you know general base economic conditions, you've lost a bunch of value. Like the video game company has lost a bunch of value off of that. And I think um, these other forms of monetization. Um, the latest which I guess is the battle pass have helped to fill that kind of gap um, between like you know value and because like, you you see these 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 uh, um, these kind of memes all the time right you used to pay sixty dollars and get a whole video game now you pay sixty dollars and you get like half a video game and you have to buy the rest as DLC which I think in some sometimes can be unfair right like I I wouldn't say that something like say Elden Ring is an incomplete game by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I do think that there are times when that definitely feels true, where like DLC and like um, stuff uh, happens. And then I think on top of this is another layer. Um, again, the thing I've been playing the most of recently is Destiny, Destiny Two, and uh, the Battle Pass is in fact like super important to playing the game, right? And I think the difference there, and the reason I am generally okay with it, is that it's actually not serving as a battle pass like in a Fortnite, what it's serving as is essentially your wow style subscription fee and it has the battle pass stuff as part of that right like you like access to the particular seasonal activity in this case it's like a particular type of public event where you defeat certain hive creatures um that's gated behind the battle pass um or the season it's it's the season it's the season of the haunted it's so the season seasonal pass or whatever or what might have you. That's um, interesting. So you can't participate in the content unless you buy the battle pass. There's some. So there's th there's three levels to it, right? Like and okay. Um. There's so there's free to play. You can play like some of the basic stuff. You can like do crucible. I think you can do gambit, but you're it's super limited. Then there's the yearly expansion, which is actually very kind of, um, uh, kind of uh, reminiscent to me at least of a of a WoW expansion, although it comes out slightly more frequency, where you're paying basically retail price for a game, um, and that gives you access to, like, kind of the base stuff for the year, right? In this case, it would be, like, access to the new location, um, access to a couple of different... Uh, a couple of different base activities, et cetera, et cetera. Then there's the seasonal pass, which is, like, every 90 days or so, maybe 120. I think it's, like, once a quarter, effectively, is the season pass. 
um, and this is where stuff gets also get, has gotten sort of controversial, is there's a separate thing, I think, for dungeons. Like, I think you have to buy them separately. And there's, like, a cosmetic shop. Um, <coughs> and obviously this is you know, gotten controversial pretty quickly. Part of the thing is, though, is if you buy it all at the... Like, I was, I was, I was, I was talking to a friend of the Castamonic about it, and I said, I'm pretty sure that the, the number works out about the same um, for, like, a WoW subscription, right? And by season passes alone, that's not true, but I think if you factor in the co cost of the yearly expansion, um, since the WoW yearly, the WoW expansion isn't yearly, it's, like, every two or three years. Um, uh, it occurs to me that I left my window open. I'm going to go close that. Keep talking. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I can still hear. Yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, so I, it's, there's a lot going on with the Destiny kind of DLC regime. Um, and like I said, I think, I think the, the thing, the reason it gets away with it uh, a certain amount is like, so for year, for the Witch Queen year, um, back at the beginning of the last season, I purchased the Deluxe Edition for, mm -hmm. I think it was, it's 80 or 100 bucks. Um, okay. And that gave me access to basically all the content that's going to come out this year. The only thing that I can't access right now is the Bungie 30th edition, which is kind of a one-off thing anyway, or 30th anniversary content. And I can go back and buy that one if I want. And it's um, it runs throughout the rest of 2022 uh, if I want to go get a Gallarhorn. So maybe I'll do that at some point if I, keep, if I, if I stick with it. But, um, you know, if you're just kind of coming at it from the outside and looking at it, it looks like there's a lot there. And there is a lot there, right, that you have to buy individually or piecemeal. But I do think it's an attempt to build to a subscription fee because I don't know if subscription a traditional subscription fee would be feasible at this point anymore. What, what do you think? Okay, so I have an interesting thought about this. My thing with the subscription fee, and this is something I feel about WoW, right, is that a subscription fee is successful when it's invisible, right? The The... One of the things that's interesting about the Battle Pass is the Battle Pass is kind of contrasting this free-to-play sort of quasi-subscription model, but it is constantly drawing attention to itself, right? Kind of the point of the Battle Pass is to try and convince these free-to-play players to convert, right, into a a more, you know, like a, a, a more monetarily successful set of people by buying the battle pass right you want to constantly pitch them on the battle pass by essentially showing them the level up screen all the time which is constantly showing them what they could get if they buy the battle pass right um and and so it's sort of always shoving it in your face the thing about like a wow subscription or a, or a final fantasy 14 subscription is that both of these are built to be i think as invisible as possible i think the ideal scenario is you just get someone on a six-month subscription that is just rolling right you know there, there's just it's just charging um and that the person who is playing the game at any individual moment is not thinking about their subscription as often as possible, right? With really the main point of evidence being here that they, you know, the the um, incentives for that six month subscription are pretty high, right? You know, uh, WoW gave away Diablo three for free to people with a six month subscription. Uh, you know, gives away mounts for free to people with a six month subscription. I think like the idea is to get you to sort of tick over to the the six month subscription and then just not think about it as you're as you're sort of like playing 
you know, the game. It's just, it's hitting your bank account. It is functionally this invisible thing rather than a more piecemeal sort of um, situation where, you know, for instance, in Destiny, every couple of months, Destiny is coming to you trying to get you to sort of like buy in again, right? I think the ideal situation for a WoW player is someone like, you know, like our friends like Sarian and Raylana, right? Who have had a WoW subscription rolling for multiple expansions at this point, right? The only thing they're thinking about when they're thinking about buying stuff in WoW is the like the new expansion. The new expansion is coming up. I'm going to pay 40 bucks for it. And, you know, and maybe every once in a while I'll look at the cosmetic store, right? Because they're going to release some stuff on the, on the, on the cosmetic store, right? Um, and, and the more that the, the game can sort of orient itself to that kind of player, the better off, you know, like the better off that, uh, that it is. And I sort of wonder if that might be how Destiny sort of transitions, right? Um, especially because like you've, I feel like what happens is the subscription fee comes off, right? People offload the subscription fee into a free-to-play service, right? Which is like Star Wars is like this. Um, or, you know, people always talk about the, you know, like the Final Fantasy fourteen free trial, right? Or Guild Wars 2. These are all games that are free games. Um, but you can get something if you, subs you... You get way more stuff if you sort of, like, subscribe, right? So it's kind of a subscription plus, but there is that sort of, like, free-to-play kind of, like, aspect to it. Um... And it's just, you, you never hear about something that bumps up into a subscription fee. Like, no one ever talks about, like, adding a subscription fee to an already, like, ongoing uh, sort of game uh, and experience. And I do sort of wonder if something that, I feel like Destiny has, like, a lot of goodwill in, in, in its community, right? Um, you know, I remember, I guess there was some some controversies, like, last year about about Destiny stuff. But I sort of just figure it takes a lot of trust uh, for, for a company to pull that off. And maybe Bungie is in a position that they can they can kind of execute on that plan. How, how shielded from Destiny is controversy by the fact that there's, like, a very controversial YouTuber with the name Destiny? Like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I definitely do search Destiny drama all the time. Actually, that happens to me on my on my sidebar on like Twitter. You'll see Destiny is trending, and I'm like, which is it? Like, you know, controversy prone political YouTuber. Not even a political YouTuber. I mean, he's just sort of a. He's like a. I guess he's a political streamer, right? Yeah, he, he more political being streamer like a, Destiny or like a, a brood war streamer, right? Like, wasn't he a StarCraft two streamer? For, yeah, he was a StarCraft streamer for for. Uh, he was a pro for a long time. Um, uh, I actually I I got back into watching Destiny's content because he was. Uh, he was streaming StarCraft, uh, which was which was pretty funny. But you know, he's just got, the <laughs> Destiny is just always drama, right? Yeah. Um, but yes, no, I I think it's got a lot of goodwill. It's Bungie, right? Like Bungie has a lot of diehard fans. Um, uh, I also think that like the game's good enough to kind of like you know you'll you'll put up with a lot of crap if like you're having a good time, right? And also, like I said. $100 a year is basically about as much as I'm – it's probably less than I'm paying for WoW if I if I play continuously, right? Um, so, like, as a total value proposition, it's not too bad. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I think the, these are all always good – maybe this is a controversial opinion. There is no value proposition 
in video games better in my opinion than like a wow subscription or destiny or any of these sorts of things because these games are built to suck up so much time right? right so if i were to go and i were to look and oh god don't don't let me look right at my slash played in uh well, in like well, in well, WoW on, in Shadowlands. Lou says in the chat, my six months went through last week and made me sad briefly. That's exactly the point. This is your point, right? Like it made you sad briefly and you won't think about it for another six months. For another six <laughs> months, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and so but the thing is is that like if I were to take the amount of money that I spend and divide it by the amount of hours that I have spent playing WoW, it's gonna be pennies, right? It's gonna be fractions of pennies, probably. And I think this is true for any of these games, right? Any any one of these games that is built to suck up a lot of time like this, right? League of Legends, Hearthstone, Destiny, right? All of them you can essentially justify on that dollar per hour basis. Because all of that is gonna look worse than going to the movies and seeing Morbius. Yeah. Which happened, <laughs> which I did, you know, which I spent money on, right? All of that is going to look is going to look worse than most of the, you know, like the the AAA games that I that I played, right? Like, you know, Elden Ring. Obviously, we played Elden Ring out of the out of the Patreon budget, but so you did. I bought um, it myself. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, like like Elden Ring. Elden Ring is a game that I spent a grand total of. Let's let's see. We spent a grand total of thirty hours in that game, which is pretty reasonable, right? That no one would say that that is like underdoing Elden Ring. That I I I played a bunch of Elden Ring. I had a good time with it, but I ran into a frustrating piece, and I wanted the the space in my hard drive to go install something else. So I uninstalled Elden Ring. I'm probably not going to pick it up anytime anytime soon. Theoretically speaking, that is a two dollar an hour conversion rate, right? Well, if we think about if we think about the last. Two years of WoW. Okay, it's not it's not two years. It's less than that, right? Let's say 75 no, weeks, right? Yeah. It, In the last 75 weeks, I have logged on to Raid for at least five hours a week, right? And it's just like, okay, well, you take that, you divide. It's like that number is always going to be better than the $2 an hour that I got out of, that I got out of Elden Ring. Um, so I just – I have never sort of been swayed by any of the arguments that something like wow or or whatever else is predatory on those on those uh examples because of that that sort of raw conversion basis yeah i mean i i think there is something to be said though for like i think WoW is better about this than it used to be but i also think there's a thing to be said especially for like some of these battle passes right that like they make things grindier than they need to be for the sake of uh, adhering you to the game right yeah like you know there, there are times when I will, like, just, like, stop what I'm doing in WoW and be like, I don't care. Like, you know, classically when I burn out in WoW, which I've managed not to for this expansion, um, is I will be doing something and I will be like, why the fuck am I doing this, right? Like, you know, I'm just doing it, like, you know, I'm doing this for, like, a fake piece of armor or whatever so I could, like, have, like, a, a you know, a few pixels that I like that look better, right? Um, and it's, and it, it is so obnoxiously, right, like, you could feel the game being bounced around time gating, essentially, mm -hmm. um, to keep people from like, to to just for the sake of time gating, right? Like you know, but here here's a good example that I'll take it out of the the, the wow wow thing. Um, there are like I am going through the current content for for Destiny, um, but last season's content like the like not all not the battle pass but like the like the the seasonal content is still available to me, right? I can do that all right now if I want to. Um, I can work through the whole season's worth of quests, right? Um, 
in the current season, though, I have hit the edge of it because it's the first week and it doles out week by week, right? Similar thing happens in WoW, right? You can't go to the end of the expansion or the end of the, the track immediately. And there are, like, you know, legitimate reasons why, like, you might paste it out. But undoubtedly, one of the reasons there is to keep people from blowing through the content too fast to make the game feel more like it's worth the subscription, right? I'm not saying that's the sole reason, but it's definitely one of the reasons. And, you know, I think that's a thing that is... I don't know, I don't know how much I want to level that as a criticism, but it's a thing that's definitely true. Um, yeah, I think there's sort of upside down, right? Like, the upside to this... It, it actually kind of reminds me of random loot, right? So, for instance, one of the things we learned about WoW Season 4 is that there's going to be this bad luck protection in the in the, in the the raid for the bosses, right? Once you kill a certain number of bosses, you get a little token, and you can take that token to a vendor and just buy really powerful chase gear that, that a lot of players will want, right? Special weapons, you know, trinkets, right? All of that kind of, all of, that kind of stuff, right? Each character is essentially going to be entitled. If they put the time in, if they get the boss kills, they will have this level of bad luck protection to help them get, like, the gear that they want. Okay, fair enough. A lot of players have responded to that system, right? And this is the first time anything like this has been implemented in WoW ever, right? It is, I mean, frankly, at this position in 9.2, it is much easier to gain best in slot gear now than it has ever been, right? To like gear out a character in, in WoW's history. This is just like a fact, right? Um, but there's this sort of question of like, why hasn't this been in the game, right? We used to have badge vendors, people will say, referencing vendors in Cataclysm and uh, and Wrath of the Lich King, where when you kill dungeon mobs, you get, you get badges and you can go turn in those badges for relatively strong pieces of gear, right? Um, if not necessarily something that's best in slot, at least something that's pretty powerful so that if you're not getting a chest to drop for, you can go get a chest for, from your thing. And people ask, why, well, why do we get rid of that, right? Like, why do we take that stuff out of there why do we get why do we take it out of the game and the answer is that people actually like rng loot more than they say they do right like the it's it's <laughs> a friend of mine once was called this the christmas present effect it is so much more fun killing a boss and seeing the loot pop up for you and go oh i got it i got the thing i wanted oh what a great feeling right that feeling is great everybody likes that feeling but the downside to that feeling is that there are necessarily going to be times when you kill that boss and you don't get the thing, right? And on aggregate, it, it feels better to get that stuff randomly than it does to get it sort of doled out in a sort of very, very deterministic sort of way, right? Yeah. Because what happens when it gets doled out in a deterministic way is then it becomes a chore. People assume, like, it, it becomes this baseline because, oh, well, you can just grind it out. Well, you just grind it out, right? Uh, this, and I think this is a classic Skinner box, right? Is what you're describing, right? Like, yeah, you know, uh, the, the the famous experiment is like, you know, you give a rat a feeder. I think it's a rat, a feeder, and if it gives a pellet food pellet every time, it'll press the pellet as it wants food. But if you give it a chance, it'll just like keep banging its head against the pellet dispenser because, like, you know, it wants to, it wants to like win the jackpot and get food. Right, so even if it doesn't need it anymore. But anyway, continue, sorry. Yeah, and so I, and I think a, th a similar thing is happening when it comes to this sort of like time gating of stuff, right? Um, which is to say that the upside to, to time gating is that it kind of sections out the content so that people don't burn themselves out on the game, right? And there isn't this expectation in the way that like there is an expectation or there can sometimes be an expectation that someone will go grind out a piece of... Um, 
chase gear if like the bad luck protection is in there like honestly shadowlands legendaries are probably a good example of this right legendaries in 9.0 were a capstone piece of gear that you worked towards by putting in the time in Torghast, right? Now, you can just do Torghast immediately. You can do it for a million stuff, and you're also getting a gazillion Cosmic Flux all the time, right? And the reason that that, that has changed is because the deterministic process of earning a legendary was not seen as a capstone thing for people to polish off the edge edge of their character by getting a 235 you know max rank legendary right it was seen as a foundational thing they could not play a character unless they had a 235 legendary right and that process is because it wasn't, you know, like we have a, this tolerance for sort of RNG loop. We don't have that same sort of tolerance for deterministic gear, right? And I, and I think the same sort of thing is happening when it comes to like time gating this stuff in the story or whatever, right? If you can just blitz through it all in one sitting, um, maybe that is, you know, maybe that, that 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 is valuable and that is something that you find fun and interesting, right? We understand that the Netflix model works, right? Where, you know, they're going to release an entire television show and sort of just dominate the zeitgeist for the, you know, like for the weekend or whatever it is, right? Um, but uh, the doling it out piece by piece gives so much more room for things to be properly paced and for things to breathe and for, you know, not having someone have this obligation to sort of like go through all of it in order to participate in the fan, you know, the fandom around any of these individual games um, that there's a lot of upside to gating the content that way. Yeah, no. And I'm, I'm like I said, there are plenty of legitimate reasons for doing it. But I also mm -hmm. think, like, of of the set of reasons for doing it, one of them is definitely... And if you spend it over eight weeks, then you get 30 bucks out of them instead of 15, right? Like, and, you know... Again, this is not meant as, like, you know, like... And then, therefore, they should release everything immediately. Because I think you're right, right? Like, I think I think the Netflix model, as you're, as you're putting it, is actually shown to be, like, not maybe as good as we wanted it to be, right? I think, I th I think the weekly show model is actually better in a lot of ways because yep. like if you get the dump model right like then you've got one opportunity to be part of that conversation and if you miss it like maybe you can hit the second wave of people who waited for the first wave people you know the, the first wave people to go through it but then past that it kind of dies off whereas if it comes out week by week you could theoretically join midway through and catch up and, and you know and, and join the conversation it's kind of like a yeah and also the sense of obligation isn't there right like yeah. um you know, something that, like, let's say the new the new Stranger Things came out, right? The new Stranger Things came out this weekend. Well, if you don't sit down and spend however many hours, I have no idea, 10 hours, just, like, watching these episodes of Stranger Things, well, now all of a sudden you are risking spoiling yourself, right? You have to sort of step back. You can't participate in the sort of conversations around, you know around the show or for instance if you are in a position where maybe you have enough time to watch one or two of the episodes for instance kenobi was sort of like this kenobi dropped two episodes i only had time to watch one right i can't really participate in conversations about kenobi because i haven't seen both of those episodes and i'm theoretically kind of like there, there's this like risk to that that i'm adverse to right um and I just sort of, uh, I just sort of think that, that that introduces a lot of problems because it creates that sort of obligation where I have to watch the full thing before I can participate in the com in in like the community. And it's so much easier, for instance, for Better Call Saul, which is also airing new episodes right now. It's so much easier for me to participate in the Better Call Saul 
fandom right now because it is one hour a week. That's the sort of that's the sort of ask, right? Um, compared to any of these these Netflix sort of binge models, where honestly, it seems like as soon as the thing is released, already there are there are spoilers of that thing hitting the internet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and you know, part of part of that too is is you know you're. You're absolutely right. It's like you, you also can't do like kind of like theory building thing with a dump style show, except for like, you know, interseason theories, which, you know, get long and drawn out. Um, but yeah. Um, so, yes, again, there, there are definitely good reasons to do it. But like you should like, again, just to be point blank about it. Right. Like there are economic reasons for doing it, too. There are economic reasons for like, you know, obviously the whole reason they're doing this in the first place because they're hoping to sell it to you. So it's like economic reasons at some level. Um, yep. but to kind of get back to kind of the, the base talk about, about these, about these battle passes in general, um, do you, do you have any thoughts about like, like what, like how, how do you feel about them in general, right? Like you mentioned, um, uh, the, uh, folding ideas, I believe you said video mm-hmm. about how he, he thought the Fortnite battle pass was fairly predatory. What are your thoughts on it? I, I've obviously expressed my thoughts on thinking that like the battle, like the Fortnite battle pass is pretty fine for what it is. Um, what do you think about that and, like, battle passes in general? The only battle pass that I've ever really engaged with and felt fine about, I feel like, was Hearthstone. I am typically wary of battle passes because most of the time, you know, with Hearthstone, it's easy for me to foresee whether or not I'm going to have a good time. Maybe this is just, like, kind of my own command of, like, the self analytical skills of when I'm going to engage with a game and when I'm not like when I'm interested, I guess um, in a game and when I'm not interested in a game. So for instance uh, with Hearthstone, it was pretty easy for me to look at this meta that that the game is in and go, Oh, this is fun. This is cool. There's stuff I want to do here. There are neat decks that I, that I want to go for. Right. Um, And it was a pretty effortless decision for me to go, I'm going to buy the battle pass because, and right now, I mean, already I sort of feel like I've gotten my value out of that battle pass. I have, I'm almost all the way through the, you know, um, uh, through the, what God, what is it called? Whatever it is, Rise of Ishtar, maybe Rise of Nazjatar, the 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 Naga battle pass that 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 we are in at the current moment. I sort of feel like I've got my value out of it, and I'm not I'm not mad about that. And it's that sort of the same feeling that I have about my WoW subscription, right? Because it's also very easy for me to look at WoW and go, "Yep, sure, I know that I'm going to put a bunch of time into this. I'm going to be running my eight mythics a week. I enjoy playing World of Warcraft, obviously, so I'm going to have a I'm going to have a good time." Um, there's a version of the battle pass that I do sort of miss, um, which is the structure and cadence of those releases, right? The the Anno 1800 battle pass got money out of me be- almost because I like the structure of that season pass more than more than anything else, right? And I can foresee a version of the Total War Warhammer 3 or, you know, like Stellaris, any of these grand strategy games that I come back to, you know, time after time. Um sort of attracting me back with that right um but at the same time there are also there are also times when that when that doesn't happen right uh civilization six had a had a season pass that i specifically did not buy because i was like you know what i don't think civ six is the game for me anymore right uh we we did we did our full review of civ six on the podcast um but something that i talked about in that game was sort of feeling like civilization six was um it just wasn't as complicated as I was looking for. It, 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 its mechanics were simpler and less complex than the kind of 4X games that I was playing on a regular basis, being Paradox games and being uh, Warhammer, uh, Total War, rather. Um, and so 
you know, I just wasn't super, I just like wasn't super on board with the Civ 6 experience. And even though I put a, a decent amount of hours into that game, uh, pr probably more than decent, I bet it is one of my, you know, I bet it's one of my top games of all time. Let's, let's, let's see. Oof, this is not, this is not good news for Civ 6. It's in my archive section on Steam, Oof. which is where I put all of the games that I don't plan on playing anytime soon, right? Um, but yeah, so for Civilization. Uh, oh, wait. It's Sid Meier's Civilization Six. Yeah, that's... Sid Meier, the man whose name launched a thousand games, except for... The only one I think who's got more is Tom Clancy, and he's dead. So they yeah, so for Civilization Six, I have 119 hours, right? Basically 120 hours playing that game. That's pretty good. You know, that's probably my top... Maybe not top ten, but you know it is it is a, a very healthy game. But it's it's less than than most of these these other four X games that I'm playing. Less by, than a long shot, right? By by Warhammer Two, which is like nine hundred, almost a thousand hours, I think at this point. Um, and uh, probably even less than Civ Five, which was the game that I came back to it for every single DLC, right? Because um, I really liked Civ Five and I had a I had a really good experience with that sort of thing. So that's sort of it, right? Like it comes down to that ability that I have to sort of foresee whether or not what I I'm here for now is what I is what I'm gonna like kind of come back for in the future. Another good example of this actually might be Humankind, which we talked to. Humankind is a game that I do see myself going back to at some point, right? Um, and I bet when I do, I will go and I will pick up those DLCs, right? Or if they're offering some kind of season pass thing, I could see myself buy like buying that season pass kind of uh, kind of experience because even though you know like we were mediocre like mildly critical of 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 humankind i found that game to be much more compelling um than uh than civ 6 was right like it was it was a really sweet uh a really interesting experience that that i could foresee getting the kinds of you know uh, getting the kind of content that will draw me back in the future in the same way that, you know, a new Solaris DLC gets announced and I go, ooh, I want to play that, right? Um, when it comes to games like uh, like Fortnite, right, like the uh, these sort of free-to-play um, Battle Pass sort of experiences, it's I feel like it's tough to get me to commit, right? Um, because there are a lot of games that live in this situation of like, Oh, I want to play that, right? Actually, for, weirdly enough, for a long time, Overwatch lived in this thing, which was a game that I like conceptually. And I'm like, oh, I always want to go back to Overwatch. I always want to go back to playing Overwatch, right? But it's just like, when when am I going to do that? When am I going to find the time? Because there are, you know, I have, I just don't have as many hours in the day to play no, all I'm of these different WoW things. I'm not to play. Right? I, I feel, yeah, I feel, exactly. I feel like right? WoW's, like, you know, for, for us in particular, right? It went from League to Overwatch to WoW, and you stayed on WoW longer than I did. But, like, for me, it's mm -hmm. WoW again, and now it's, like, slowly morphing into Destiny as well. So, you know. But, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, and the way I think of it is I have two games running at any individual time, which is typically WoW and something else, right? You know, like, it's, like, WoW and Warhammer. But then, you know, I, I kind of exhaust the Warhammer DLC, and I put Warhammer down until the next DLC, and I pick up Stellaris. Or I put that down, and I pick up whatever, right? Um, and there are times when WoW sort of hits the back burner for me, which is sort of right now, right? Uh, I've played a lot less WoW in the past couple of weeks uh, compared to, you know, at the end of 9.1, I was actually going pretty hard because I was trying to finish out, you know, it's, it's one of those things where there's some chase achievement that I want and that motivates a lot of play, right? Um, that sort of thing, that sort of thing isn't happening for me when it comes to World of Warcraft right now. So I'm branching out and I'm playing Hearthstone. I'm branching out and I'm playing, 
I'm playing uh, Solaris, I'm branching out, and I'm playing Overwatch, right? And I also think that part of that is just sort of natural, right? Um, the thing that unlocked Overwatch for me was my friends getting into it, right? Um, you know, when we were running Mythics all the time, WoW was really a, like sort of our sort of our main game. But to be honest, we sort of burned ourselves out on Mythics because we were running non-challenging Mythics for the gear, which felt like a slog. And we were just like, well, I, I don't want to do that tonight. Can we do something else? And the something else turned out to be Overwatch, right? And now, to be honest, I've been playing Overwatch a lot uh, the past couple of weeks, um, and having a and having a pretty good. Um, and having a pretty good time with it. But anyway, there are a lot of games that live in that in that world, right? Uh, last week I talked about Hearts of Iron 4. There's a bunch of single-player games that live in that world. I want to try Far Cry 6. I bought Red Dead Redemption 2 because, you know, obviously it's a good game. People people have talked about it. was on sale for really cheap. It had been on my wish list for a long time. And I was like, you know what? Now's the time. I'm buying it. Boom. Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, I've talked about going wanting, wanting to go back to the, the Assassin's Creed Valhalla DLCs, right? Um, I had a good time with Assassin's Creed Valhalla 2 years ago and you know i knew that they had dlcs the dlcs have been pretty well reviewed people seem to like them and it's a you know it's a strong single player action rpg to, to to kind of get into but it's just like where are you gonna where are you gonna kind of find the time and anytime a game lives in that space i never want to buy a battle pass for it. i never want to buy a season pass for it right because i'm very conscious of the fact that you know it's just not something that is likely to really appeal to me on a on a sort of long-term basis no, I, I definitely get that. I've, I've actually learned that the hard way because the, the big games for me for that are, are – or the big one for me typically is, is, is Apex Legends. Is like mm. every once in a while a couple other friends will be like, you want to play – like Apex being a free-to-play game that like everybody can jump into. We'll jump into it for a couple weekends. They'll be like, oh, boy, this is great, and I'll buy the battle pass. And then they'll get like three levels in it, and then we won't play for a month or two until the season's over, and it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, interestingly um, – uh, it's so so. The, the, one of the things that, that hmm, I don't want to say bothers me, but like so, I jumped back into Magic uh, Arena, and the, the way I usually play Magic is like once every couple of years, I'll be like, I'll do something. In this case, is I played a pre-release event at PAX. I was like, Magic, that's fun. I like Magic, and then I go and I play Arena, and like because it was pre-release, I hit it right at the beginning. I bought like I pre-ordered the packs, and either that. I can't remember it either came with the season pass or I had enough like premium currency left over from the last time I played that I could just buy the premium pass. I've been having a great time. Problem is, is like I'm like maybe a third of the way down the battle pass, I think, and I'm starting to not care about Magic the Gathering anymore, right? Like, um, and uh, I mean, this is just kind of a way that I, I uh, interact with, with, with these games. It's like in order to really play Magic effectively, you just kind of gotta like play one deck over and over and like really hone it. Right. And like, that's fun for me for a while, but I like variety and. I, uh, Ooh, that's interesting. See, I feel like Hearthstone pushes me towards variety and that's how it gets money out of me. Right. I, I haven't spent any money on Hearthstone getting back into it. Right. Um, obviously, I've spent I've historically spent a bunch of money on Hearthstone because, you know, really my, my thing with Hearthstone is. If you are going to play an expansion. Well, I, I explained this earlier in the podcast, right? If you're going to play the expansion, you just buy the pre-release pack where every pack is a dollar or less than a dollar or whatever. You get 60 packs right up front. You open all of them. You're going to have some trash legendaries. You get rid of those. You know, I always dust my golden cards. I'm pretty liberal with dusting shit that I just, like, don't think is all that useful or I'm not really all that interested in playing. And that allows me to sort of craft out the decks that I know I'm going to want to play 
in any specific expansion or any specific um, any specific metagame. And I feel like that that's a pretty easy world to live in where I'm like, yep, this is the thing. You know, like, I know that this is going to be the experience that is that is for, you know, like, that is for me. The way Magic, or the way Hearthstone gets me to spend more money is when I have a deck for every class in the game. If I get, if I roll, like, a quest that's like, oh... You know, so something that happened, for instance, was I got a quest that was deal 100 fire damage. And I was like, hmm, I don't really have a good option to deal fire damage in Warrior, you know, which was the deck that I was playing. This was the deck I came back to the game for, a Control Warrior deck that I thought was neat. And I was like, okay, I'm going to play this Control Warrior deck. Then I then I got that quest and I was like, huh. Maybe maybe I'll I'll look into it and I started making a mage deck, right? Then I got a different quest that was like complete 10, you know, like complete quest lines, right? Which was a mechanic from uh um United and Stormin, which was a set a couple of a couple of uh months ago, right? Um and and I looked at it, I was like, maybe I'll make a like maybe I'll make a priest deck. And that's and I ended up doing that. And I was able to make the spell the 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 mage deck and I was able to make the priest deck without too much issue, right? Um without too much trouble. Uh, and so now I have these three decks. I have Control Warrior, I have Priest, I have Mage, right? Um, but the more Hearthstone can kind of convince me to play those different variety, like those different varieties of decks, that's when it's going to get me to buy packs, right? That's when it's like, oh, well, I'm out of dust and I just need some cards, so I'm going to buy 30 packs or whatever to just try and get the dust I need to craft this, right? Or the cards that I need uh, to craft this, right? Or, you know, maybe sometimes I'll open up a really chase legendary. It's like, oh, wow, I opened up the Warlock legendary that enables this whole deck archetype. Maybe I'll actually spend a little bit more money on packs to fill out that to fill out that deck and put in a couple of games on it, right? Um, so it's interesting that Magic Arena sort of wants you to hone in, whereas Hearthstone sort of wants you to branch out. So I, I think part of that's like breaking up, and I think that's true across both of them. I also think, so like I actually think that part of this is also just kind of unique to this set since it's like three colored wedges, right? Like I know previously you, you usually get quests like some of the quests are like play X cards of X or Y color. And with the three color wedges, there's only one quest set that won't be covered by one deck, right? Like, like right now I'm running a red, a red, blue, black deck. So, black on, deck, yeah. so only if I get like cast, you know, 30 white or green spells quests, am I not able to use that deck and I can reroll those. So uh, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> and so that, I, d I have definitely rerolled a lot of, a lot of quests that are like play paladin, you know, whatever. It'll be like Paladin, Shaman, Mage. And I'm just like, well, actually, Mage is what I'm playing. I don't know. It's just like some, it's like Demon Hunter, Hunter, Rogue, which are all of these tempo decks that I'm not interested in. It's just like, yep, I'll reroll that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's weird because like I'm in this space where like I will play a bunch of the midweek events, right? Like um, every week there's like a midweek magic with some like weird thing. Like, you know, it was last week, I think it was Artisan, which is like, you know, Uncommons or or uh or or worse um and like i'll have fun like part of it is like th those provide enough variety for me to be interested in it but also part of it's like do i really want to put a lot of thought into crafting a deck part, part of it too is that because i'm like it has less of a core i guess is like i'll go back to like put together a deck it's like i just don't have the cards to do this thing and i don't want to burn all of my wild cards on a thing that i don't quite like so much right because there's less common cards in magic um, like one of the big, like I, I talked about this in the back half before, one of the big archetypes right now is kind of this like 
life gain contain, combined with creatures that like get bonuses if you when you gain life type uh, type decks. And I don't really have an interest in playing that. And if I did, I'd have to put a bunch of wild cards into it. So it, it's just like a an interesting situation. But yeah, um, yeah, that's definitely true. And there are also cards like. It's interesting in Magic because there's only, like, the five colors, right, um, versus, like, the nine classes in, in Hearthstone. Because I think a lot about when am I going to do a neutral legendary versus when I'm going to do a um, – when am I going to do a class legendary, right? Um, so, for instance, two cards that I that I crafted pretty quickly in Nazjatar is a card called School Teacher. It's a four-mana, five-four, and when you play it as a battle cry where it puts a one-one um, card in your hand and – you like discover a, a, a three mana or less cost spell in the game um, that when you play that one, one, it plays that spell, right? So it's essentially, it's, it's hard to explain this. The lore of this is that the five, four is the teacher. The one, one is the pupil and the pupil is casting the spell that the teacher is kind of like asking. But in practice, this is just a really useful effect, right? Because what it does is it's, you know, it's just raw value. It lets you like cast, um, you know, like, it, it just lets you kind of, like, add more value to your deck than you would otherwise have because you're, you know, like, you're casting this you're casting this spell. But the real thing is that it's also, like, really efficient, right? Because, because it's a three-mana or less spell, you can get a three-mana spell that you can play from your hand on a 1-1, one, one, right? Um, so, for instance, in the the big spell mage that I'm that I'm running, right, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of freeze effects, there's a lot of freeze the board effects. There's a three mana mage spell called Shattering Blast that says destroy all frozen minions. It is insanely valuable for me to get that out of a school teacher, right? And school teacher is a good card that is in control. It literally is in all of the decks that I'm playing, right? It is in Control Warrior. It is in big spell mage. It is in Quest Priest. Right. And, and it's like easy to look at that and say, yep, this is a quality craft. I know I'm going to want this. Right. Uh, another one of those is um, is something amalgam that I can't remember the name of. Right. But it's essentially it's a two mana, two, three battle cry, you know, choose a friendly minion, discover another minion of that minion type. So if you, you know, you hit a dragon, you discover a dragon kind of thing. Also a minion that goes in multiple different kinds of decks. It's easy. It's easy to sort of craft those. Um, it is much harder to ask me to craft a you know, a hero card for Warlock or something. Because it's like, man, that is only going to get use in this one particular instance. Maybe I can get use of it in two different archetypes of Warlock, but, like, boy, oh, boy, is that a, is that a heavy ask for me, right? That's kind of uh, – uh, that that's that's always, like, an interesting piece of the of the puzzle that, that we're thinking about. Yeah. I mean, and this is interesting because we're talking about, like – what drives in these games, and neither of us are talking about the Battle Pass, right? Like, you don't seem like yep. you want to buy the Battle Pass. And, like, for me, I just kind of bought it on a whim because I think it's also got kind of the replaceable currency thing, right? Like, if you play all the way to the end, you should have enough for the next one or something like that. Um, at least there's a lot of value in, in the Battle Pass, theoretically. Um, but it's not really, like, dry, like, it is driving me to, like, maybe open the game every once in a while, but it's also, like, not a thing that I feel ob super obligated to do, right? Like, it's just, like... I think maybe I, I you know, I, I look at every once in a while, um, which is which is interesting because like you think that like, I don't know, I guess because more of the like it only as a secondary effect affects how you play the game if that makes sense right like like you like at least for the Magic Pass you don't really get a lot of specific or any specific cards I don't think on the on the Battle Pass right you get packs but the packs are randomized right like. 
Um, and maybe you'll get like a mythic pack, which is guaranteed to have a mythic rare in it. But like that, it's um, and it's also weird because like I actually don't really care that much about packs anymore, just because I, I've got the deck that I like for my constructed format, and maybe I'd go do something else if there's nothing that's grabbing me, and maybe that's just kind of like a, a consequence of the set, right? Like I don't see anything else that I really want to play, um, and so I'm not. But like that's just kind of like I don't know. It's, so that's interesting. I wonder if it's the size because magic sets are big, right? Like they're three hundred plus cards, right? Um, uh, I think it depends on the set, but I, that, that sounds about right to me. But a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm just gonna look it up for for Streets of Katina. Um, do because yes, yeah, set size is two hundred eighty one cards plus one hundred eighty six. This is this I think is interesting because. Uh, the Hearthstone sets are larger or are smaller than that. So a card set in Hearthstone um, is going to be like, hold on. God, man, this is, uh, I'm getting like news articles about things. It's like, it's like 135 cards or something. It's a, it's actually a pretty small amount of cards. And if I'm playing a lot of Hearthstone, I will complete. The, the other thing about Hearthstone is that they have um, bad luck protection in the sense of you can never get a duplicate, right? So if you roll a legendary uh, card, it will always be a legendary that you do not own, right? Um, and something that's happened to me basically since they introduced the Battle Pass is when I complete a Battle Pass set, like when I when I finish off the Battle Pass, um, I have all of the cards in the, in the set, generally speaking, right? Um, just because I've opened enough packs from the set to have rolled basically everything. Um, which I think, you know, at that point, it's got to be like 200 or some on packs, right? Because it's all of the free packs plus the, you know, the 60 or 80 or whatever the number of packs is at the at the beginning. Let's say let's say 100, right? Because you also get a bunch of packs out of the Battle Pass. I feel like the, the, the thing I get out of the Hearthstone Battle Pass is just the experience increase, right? Because you get 10% extra experience and then that scales to 15, 20, 25. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of value, like mostly the thing that I find valuable in a Hearthstone Battle Pass is completing it. Because when you complete it, you get a special prestige skin for, you know, like one of the, one of the heroes in the game. You get a bunch of skins along the way and those skins typically are fine, but I, I don't, I don't love them. Right. Uh, but something I do want is I, you, you get one access to a prestige skin and, I, I like picking those up for warrior because that's my favorite, you know, like that's my favorite class. Right. Um, and there's sort of that vague ideal of just like having all of like the warrior skins. And I like the idea of queuing up for a match and someone seeing like, Oh, this guy's got the whatever warrior skin. Right. Um, and I think the thing that's interesting about that is that reminds me a lot of AOTC, right. That re reminds me a lot of KSM where essentially and this is all free, by the way, like the getting the skin thing. This is this is part of the free end of the battle pass. I just get there quicker because I have the experience for it. Um, that is the thing that that I want is sort of the prestige of I played in this meta. I played in this this specific time and I got a cool exclusive reward for doing the content and putting in putting in the time in the inside of this set release. Right. Um, and maybe there's something interesting about that because like. I kind of think that's bad in a way, right? Like I'm incentivized to buy a thing to better complete 
a prestige achievement that is about putting like putting the time in, right? Yeah, and I I, I think that's interesting too, just because like, and I think maybe it's bad too, because like this is the thing that I don't particularly like about these kinds of things is it's just time, right? AOTC, right? Like, you know, that means that you completed the raid on heroic, right? Like, you know, and obviously there are ways to like kind of like, you know, cheap cheap out through that, right? Like, you know, from you know paying someone real money to just like getting ridden along by some carry group that's like running for funds or whatever right but like for the most part you can say like i went and i did that right like i went and i did whereas like the things at the end of battle passes always like seem not great to me just because it's kind of like you know i just did time right like i just did a number of things i didn't do anything particular to earn this right like i just kind of put enough hours in that I like ticked enough boxes. Um, this is interesting just to go back to the destiny thing is cause like, frankly, I don't care too much about the battle pass itself. I care about, or I care about the things that it enables, right? I care about the activities that you get to play from it. Um, I, in that sense, it's sort of like DLC, right? Yeah. Yes. I mean that, that again, this is why my, my kind of like my, my kind of rallying cry is like the subscription fee for, uh, uh, for destiny 2 like i honestly think like the battle pass is like fine but like i think you could get away with not having the the seasonal rewards um from like a ten thousand foot view i'm sure there'd be pushback if, if they just got rid of it but um you know i don't i don't feel compelled to get to the end of that uh set which is interesting because like you know I do kind of feel like I'm, you know, not not so much that like I'm gonna like kill myself to finish, but I do feel compelled to get to the end of the Kapena set or the Kapena battle pass because I paid for it, and otherwise I wouldn't have paid for anything, right? Like I could have otherwise been playing the game. It's like, well, I wasted my money if I don't finish it out. Um, yeah, that that is. I don't know. It, it's it's a good feeling to finish it out. Yeah. you know, it's like a to to kind of like polish it off. Um, yeah. No, I, I I agree. I just I don't know. I I feel like. I feel like battle passes are not good chases in like kind of, yeah. the, in, in kind of that, that, that way. Right. Like you need something to like, th this is, this is the, the kind of problem with like any loot game, right? Like you want to keep getting new gear and you need to be able to keep getting new gear. That's better. So the, the good gear makes you better at doing the content and you want to keep doing the content to get better gear. And you need yep. to be able yep. to keep this that. Is, that's the engine, right? Yeah. Do content, get rewards, which makes doing the content better and more fun, right? Like that's right. progression. And you and you need to kind of like hit a, a good kind of balance there, right? Like classically, my problem with um, Diablo three, at least uh, the latest kind of version of it, is once I get the seasonal set, I feel very little compulsion to keep going because like that's like such a big power leap, and then there's like not a lot past that, right? Like you like you know your your power your your power like very quickly logarithms, right? It's like up to set and then like kind of like it's very flat like very marginal increases past that um yeah and like the battle pass doesn't even have any of that right it's just flat it's just flat and it's not like i can be like <coughs> at least with aotc right like i can have a personal sense of pride and accomplishment right this this is to go to go to that cringy example right like the the fucking star wars battle pass right that's like pride and accomplishment most downvoted thing in all of like reddit history or right. whatever but like i don't feel a sense of pride and accomplishment when i put in enough hours to get to the end, end of the battle pass right there's like there's a completionist kind of like joy there but it's not like a kind of like i did this because i'm good at the game right like whereas with aotc that's very much how i feel right like 
you know, every time we make progression on a boss, I feel, I feel great, right? Like, I feel like, yes, we yeah. fucking did it. I was part of this, like, you know, uh, group that, like, pushed ourselves to, 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 to that limit. And um, battle passes, I think, are an attempt to capitalize on some of that, but are not great at it. Um, yeah, and there's also that feeling of like this is this is a feeling that I also think is very core to at least WoW's experience, right? But probably other stuff like Destiny 2, right? Last week we one shot Holandris, right? We did her heroic Holandris in one go, right? And that is a really good feeling. Like the feeling of this boss was a wall for us. This boss was very hard, and we come in and it is now farm content, right? We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to, we have a strategy. It works. We are powerful enough to execute on that strategy over and over again, right? Like that's a, that's like a good feeling. That's like a, that's like a solid, uh, a solid feeling. I feel like that stuff is definitely outside of the realm of monetization, right? Like this is sort this is sort of what I mean by like the, the wow subscription should feel invisible, right? Like the purchase should feel invisible. It's like, when I'm thinking about WoW, when I'm thinking about my goals in that game, it's like I want to do the patch achievement, whatever that achievement is most of the time, right? Um, I want to do AOTC. I want to get KSM, right? Like these are my these are my goals for the patch are going to be, you know, one, two, three, four, essentially, right? Um, and uh, and those don't interface with money really at all. And even when it comes to Hearthstone, right? Like I do want to finish out the battle pass, and the battle pass creates some sort of uh, a little bit of a, of a reward structure, right? Um, but the real thing that I'm looking for, typically, when I'm playing Hearthstone is to climb, right? Right now I'm in gold, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I've hit diamond before. I've never actually hit legend in Hearthstone. Um, and there's just so, sort of that goal of, I just want to go as far as, you know, like, I just want to sort of go as far as I can, right? I want to climb um, as far as I can with my cool deck that is typically not incredibly meta, but, like, has neat matchups that I like playing into a lot, right? Um, I've actually, it's funny that I that I was talking about Control Warrior because the deck that I most have connected with is Big Spell Mage, which is a very different, it is also a control deck, right? Um, but it's a control deck that's built around insanely huge value swings, right? Um, where you are are essentially casting these big 10 mana spell but you're doing a bunch of cool stuff to kind of enable casting that um like earlier and faster and just has neat that deck has cool matchups into common decks on the ladder and that i think is like the bread and butter of what it feels like to play fun hearthstone right when i am playing a deck big spell mage by the way is not a good deck right if i were to look up on hs replay i'm sure it's going to tell me where where can i see meta let's go all right, tier one, Quest Warrior, Mech Paladin, Hand Buff Paladin, Mech Mage. These are the these are the the, the decks I'm facing all the time, right? Um, you know, Pirate Warrior, Mech Paladin, and Mage, and then also sort of like Hand Paladin, right? Then we have tier two. It's got a bunch of this other sort of like mid range stuff is in here, right? Holy Paladin is in here, Beast Hunter is in here, Morlock Warlock is in here, right? We go down to tier three. This is where Control Warrior, which is the deck that I started playing, is right. This is this is a tier three deck. This is also where Big Spell Mage is, and I don't even see Quest Priest on here. Wow, that's really different. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. So I'm essentially playing these tier three decks that have interesting matchups into the tier one decks, right? But also kind of lose against other stuff. And that is what's fun, right? Is sort of making those uh, making those decks my own, right? Um, and piloting something that doesn't feel super good, but does feel good, like fun for me into the best stuff in the game and winning, right? Um, and all of that is completely, you know, outside of the realm of 
what what's going on with the battle pass, right? The battle pass matters very little to that sort of stuff. But it does mean that if I spend a bad night playing, right? You know, like the other night, I just lost like six games in a row. And it was just like a really, you know, I was super on tilt. I was conceding games that I could have won, right? Like all of all of that sort of stuff, right? Somebody has a big turn and I'm just like, you know what? Fuck this. I don't want to deal with it or whatever. I at least come away with a pack, right? And I can open that pack. And that's something that gets me to not put Hearthstone down, I think. Um... Where, you know, uh, maybe in the past, having a bad night would make me just want to not play again forever, right? I would just be like, yep, that's enough Hearthstone. I have reached this boiling point of frustration. There's there's a little bit of like a, there's a little bit of like a frustration relief valve in all of that. Um, that, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's better. I buy that, right? Like, and, you know, just go back to like Fortnite and Apex, right? Like, the goal of that game is to win, right? Like, it's to be, you know, win win the chicken dinner, right? To use PUBG parlance, um, and the battle pass is just kind of like gravy on top, like cosmetic gravy on top of it. Um, the only issue, like the, the the problem is, is that occasionally, like I don't know how Fortnite's pass works, but I know that like with Apex, um, the battle pass can work contrary to it because like the quests are like you know do seventy two damage with sidearms, which you know if you're not as good with like you know that, then like you know you're gimping yourself to get more battle pass experience, which I think is bad. But like, that's, that's like a, a whole other thing. That's like, like a whole other aspect of battle, battle pass design, which I, you know, we're already 15 minutes over the, the kind of like main segment. So. Yep. That's true. Anyway, how's your week? What's up? How's your life been? Uh, so like I said, I've been playing a lot of destiny too. Um, which has been a lot of fun, but the big thing I want to say, talk about is, um, I, uh, I finished, uh, three books this week. Um, wow. Uh, so the first one is I, f- I finished um, the last the last Frank Herbert Dune book, uh, Chapter House Dune. And the, de- the most depressing part about it was like getting to the end of that book and realizing that he clearly had more that he wanted to write and he didn't get to write it. Um, oh, no. Like it's like, you know, it, it doesn't end like quite on a cliffhanger. Like it, it ends like a lot of Dune books end in that like I expected the next book to be like, you know, 300 years in the future and we're looking at like a descendant of the like you know like the the maybe not 300 years but like years in the future and we're looking at the consequences of the thing that happened at the tail end of the last book this in in the second dune book um which uh messiah i think is the name of the second one um it's like 10 years and we largely like skipped over narratively the reign of paul atreides right spoilers for (coughs) for dune the movie, if you don't know how it ends, you know, the hero wins. Um, uh, and so, like, you kind of come back in at what's, like, the end point. And then the third book's, like, a direct, almost a, not quite direct. It's, like, but it's very close in time to the second book. It's, like, much more of a direct, like, the second and third book are, like, very much um, kind of a pair. In the same way that, like, um, Heretics, which is the second to last book, and, and Chapter House are a pair. Um, Chapter House is like a direct sequel to Heretics. Like, like I think it picks up like the next moment almost. Um, maybe like you know some indeterminate small unit of time forward. Um, but it's really good. Um, uh, it's still weird, but like Frank Herbert had this like amazing world building, um, universe building even uh, ability, and like I could see what he was doing and like watching the thread go from like over what is like ostensibly like several thousand years of history of you know what is supposed to be grown out of like like you know it is supposed to be our future right like it, it theoretically happened like they reference like 
Genghis Khan and Adolf Hitler at various times, right? Wow. Um, I didn't actually know that, but yeah. fair enough. Like, it is, it is supposed to be in our future. Um, and just, like, following the whole thread of it and following the whole philosophical bent, I think is super neat. Um, it is enough to tempt me to go read not the Brian Herbert and his son's novels that fill in, like, the middle parts, but to, to, to go read the... Like, he wrote two that are supposed to be based on Frank Herbert's notes that kind of finish out the storyline um, of the mainline storyline. And so I'm tempted to do that. We'll see if that's a good idea or not. Um, wow. The other thing I, I, so the second book I read is not super relevant to gaming stuff. It's called, um, but I thought it was, was interesting. It's called wall, wall uh, why calories don't count by Giles. Yao. He's like a, he's, he's, he's a British researcher whose focus is like the obesity of it. Uh, epidemic mm -hmm. and he talks about like some this is like very like just like practical real life knowledge right like um essentially the way that calories are read on the side of a piece of, of like a of like a piece of food are not quite right for like a number of different reasons um some of which are just kind of like the way you process food and how it's like and like you know basically convenience rounding that goes on the side of the package like can put you off as like five to ten percent of like what the calories are and the other thing being that like while the numbers are right, like satiety is basically the takeaways are is like protein makes you feel fuller, right? So like even if you if you eat the same amount of calories of calories and carbs, your or uh, protein and carbs, it's the same effect, but you will feel fuller on the proteins. You're less likely to eat more, um, and also we don't eat enough fiber. Is is the other is <laughs> the other big one? Um, but I thought it was interesting. A lot of science he go that he goes through. Um, uh, I don't like. I had a spare Audible credit lying around. That's why I got it. Um, I, I, it's, it's a very soft recommend for me. But then the thing, I, I jammed through the whole thing today. I listened to the audiobook of A Scanner Darkly by Philip K. Dick since I've been going through. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is, um, it is very Philip K. Dick, but it's also very different than a lot of the other um, books he's written. It's funny, too, because, like, last night I didn't want to start it yet. But I didn't want to listen to something, so I listened. I have listened to like um, *Free and Loathing in Las Vegas* like two or three times. And I like got half. It's short. It's like six hours if you listen to a normal speed. I listened to it on double speed, so it's like only three hours. I listened to it for like an hour and a half too. I got to basically the end of like the first part of that book, and that book is well not like outright celebratory. It's definitely like a very positive outlook or generally positive outlook on on drugs. Maybe not kind of like in the kind of modern concept of like you know psychedelics will set you free or whatever, but just kind of like you know it's hip and cool and like whatever, like, you know, live your life. Right. Whereas like a scanner darkly is very much about like the dangers of addiction, which is like a weird thing to be like from Philip K. Dick, who is like, otherwise it's this crazy person. Like it's a, it's a fucking nutso fucking book. Um, and I highly recommend it. It's a little hard to follow at times, but like it is, uh, uh, there's a lot of stuff there that I think is, that is, that is really cool. I don't want to spoil too much. Um, I need to go back and rewatch the movie. Um, from what I remember, the movie is fairly faithful to the, to the book. Um, uh, but a lot of it's also, like, not only is it about the dangers of addiction, like, there is an end note from Philip K. Dick that's like, I'm not offering judgment on any of these things. But it's not, it's only an early indictment of, like, kind of addiction, but it's also, like, an indictment of, like, the drug war, right? Like, um, which when he was writing, it was kind of, like, um, just kind of getting started. But, like, you know, some very conspiratorial stuff in there. Um, and, like, it's it's a, it's a trip, and I, I highly recommend it. Um, 
Uh, but it's kind of like the ugly underside of, uh, of that. But yeah, other than that, I've been doing, uh, like I said, Destiny 2 and Magic the Gathering Arena. And did I do anything else of any note? Uh, nothing too crazy. What have you been up to? Uh, you know, I've, I've actually played a lot of stuff, right? Like, so obviously I, I'm continuing on Stellaris. Stellaris is quietly maybe one of the best games that I've played in a long time. Um, I don't know. It's just something, it's just something about it, right? Like the, the, the thing that I thought I always thought Solaris figured out was that it was not about absolute values. It was about rates, right? Like you don't really care all that much in Stellaris about how much of a thing you have at any given moment, which is normally what, um, most of these four X games are built around, right? You're kind of, you know, this is this is what we talked about as the mana problem in Imperator Rome, right? Where you are trying to build up enough, like, stuff to do the thing you want. In Stellaris, it's rarely about that. In Stellaris, it is about the rate at which you are accumulating that thing, right? It is, so it's less about, oh, I need to make sure I have money, and more about, I want my money production to be positive, right? To be in the black, not in the red. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I just think is such a, a, a such a good way to orient any of these sorts of games. It gets me to really just think about uh, to like think about this stuff in, in like complex, like forward thinking ways. And I'm doing so much math on in, just in my head about like, okay, well, I need this many crystals to run this many power plants to do this much whatever in order to do whatever. And there's just something so gratifying about setting that really complex system uh, kind of to task, run it like it running in a way that is. Um, I don't know. Good, strong, yeah. fun, right? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and I and like the Overlord stuff doesn't even really matter all that much to it. Like in all honesty, uh, like it's neat, it's cool, but it, it is not all that important or or uh, like necessary. It's just kind of like a like a, it's almost like a quality of life update that I paid twenty dollars for, but I don't even feel that mad about it because like the game is so good, right? Like I just kind of don't care. Um, the I've also just been playing a bunch of other stuff, right? Like Overwatch, Hearthstone. I mean, the, the interesting thing about Hearthstone is how much I've fallen in love with uh, with this with this uh, big spell mage deck. This is one of those decks where you know, like, it's funny because I can tell that there are certain archetypes for the game that the devs are sort of like. This is part of this class's identity, right? So, for instance, a good example of this might be Big Warrior, right? Big Warrior was a deck that wanted you to only have really huge, powerful minions in your deck, right? Um, that you could then cheat out for, for, for mana, right? So, you would do these things like... Um, you know, you would play uh, you would play a card for six mana that says summon a minion in your deck, and the minion in, and the minions in your deck are only seven, eight, nine. Right? You are making you are that is that is an efficient thing, right? Um, or you would be playing uh, minions in your deck that are uh, really val valuable minions to copy with a faceless manipulator, right? So, for instance, Rattle Gore is a nine mana nine nine that has death death rattle. He summons an, an eight mana eight eight, then a seven mana seven seven, then is six minutes six six right so it's just like it's really hard to kill rattle gore so you slam a rattle gore and then you copy the rattle gore two times and your board is just three nine mana nine nines that will die nine times over and over and over again before like you get to the other side of them right that kind of stuff right uh that stuff is is never super is never super meta like there are aspects of this that are for instance face hunter 
one of Hunter's defining characteristics is spells that go face, clicking on the enemy hero portrait, right? Uh, there are, like, it is always easy to find a face hunter deck. It is sometimes harder to find a big beast face hunter, or a big beast hunter deck, right? Um, comparatively speaking. And um, and there are some other there there are some other archetypes like that. One of them that's really big <laughs> and uh, fun is big spell mage, which is like you know the only spells in your deck are these like six, seven, eight, nine, ten cost spells, um, and they're huge and they're really impactful. But like the the synergy comes in how do you reduce their mana cost, right? How do you how do you make a six mana spell a two mana spell, right? How do you how do you play a card that recasts this really powerful ten mana spell over and over and over again? And just sort of the the the, the gymnastics that you have to that you have to jump through in order to accomplish that are really fun to pull off, um, especially in like live games where you know you're freezing your enemy's board over and over and over again, kind of like waiting to have these like big crack off turns. Right. I, I played one game where so so another piece of the win condition of this is the, the hero card, uh Magister Dongrasp. And Magister Dongrasp's hero power is deal two damage to a target. And if you if you deal exactly two damage and kill something, which is called an honorable kill, right? Um you deal the precise amount of damage to kill something, that upgrades by two, right? So it goes from two to four to six to eight, you know, as many times as you can get it. Well, I was playing against this paladin who was you know, he's like a mech paladin and he was filling out his board with just like a ton of mechs every single turn. But what I eventually ended up with was a bunch of copies of Blizzard in my hand and an eight, a two mana deal eight hero power, right? Which was like obviously insane. And the thing I realized, I was like, all I need to do is just freeze this dude's board for four turns and put hero power and click hero power face. And that's it. We win. We're done. Right. Uh, and it's just like stuff like that. Pulling wins out of uh, out of just like cool, interesting um, stuff like that. That's just like what a good what a good meta game of Hearthstone to, uh, you know, to be in, to, to have fun doing. Um, the last thing, I guess I just want to talk. Have you watched Kenobi? Do you care about Kenobi at all? I do, but I still need to watch Mandalorian season two. So. I I did watch Mandalorian season two, um, and I think you just watch Kenobi without it, to be honest. Um, uh, especially because I'm watching Kenobi without any of the other ones, right? Like, uh, you know, we've also done Boba Fett at this point, and Welcome there's Boba also Fett. been another show or whatever. Um, I watched the first episode of Kenobi when it released on Wednesday night because I was editing a video doing kind of monotonous stuff and I just needed something on my other screen. Um, and I ended up doing that thing that I talked about when I was watching, God, it was something else in but I can't remember what it was. Um, Chippendale, where you couldn't... It was Chippendale, where I just I was glued to the screen. I couldn't stop watching. The The first episode of Kenobi is the most like validating piece of media I have seen since the Snyder Cut, right? I feel like I'm watching the Snyder Cut before the, for the fucking prequels, basically, right? Um, because it's... It is all about revenge, you know, it's all about the prequels. It's all about Revenge of the Sith. It's all about, you know, like, this dude's relationship with the drama that happened in the first three prequels movies. And it feels like for the first time, someone is taking that seriously. Right. Um, which just feels so good, to, you know, honestly to, 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 to see. And it's cruel because like the internet has very come around to this, right. People are posting these things, you know, everyone's really happy that Hayden Christensen is back, you know, actually playing Darth Vader as Darth Vader. I'm also very happy about that, by the way. Um, you know, uh, Ewan McGregor is, is talking about how he really liked filming the prequels and he really likes the prequels and he's really happy that people are kind of coming around on them. Right. And I just sort of feel like, like, 
it's this is that this is that moment right where the drama of the prequels aren't you know they're they're not downplayed they're not kidified which is a big thing right like the clone wars is a good series and i i liked watching star wars clone wars right um but obviously it's for kids right that's just sort of a different sort of thing this is like a contemporary adult drama that is also like entirely built on the the legacy of the prequels which for the longest time has been this black spot that has been ignored by sort of star wars media in that sort of serious way so i don't know i have i've only watched the first episode i didn't get around to seeing the second one yet but man that was great that was just the greatest shit i'm so happy no it sounds like i i definitely want to get back around to it um I want to catch up. It's funny, you know. I don't. I didn't care about Boba Fett. I honestly don't care all that much about the Mandalorian anymore. Um, but boy, do I care about Kenobi. Uh, yeah. So that, that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. The one last thing I want to talk about before we get out of here is, um, you know, I've been back to Destiny two, and uh, you know that brings with it the back to the Destiny lore. You know, um, you know, Mango's Iron Law of world building. Any world that goes on for long enough. Um, uh, become stupid. And uh, I would say that Destiny 2 was pretty stupid from the start. And some people, <laughs> some people might look at you and say, you know, well, you have to understand that Halo got pretty stupid by the end of Bungie's run on that. And, you know, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of like built off of that, and that's where it comes from. So I want to say, tell you that Mandalore Gaming just released a video on Marathon and I can tell you for a fact the stupidity brought, began all the way back. <laughs> all the way back in Marathon. So, you know, Destiny 2 is not only stupid on its own terms. It is, like, the grandson of stupidity. So, um, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to be that harsh on it. But I do reckon I'll put the link in the description um, where he goes over the plot. And, like, like the plot behind the plot. This is, like, something that Bungie's actually pretty good at. It's, like, the plot behind the plot, right? Like, you can just play the game and engage the surface level and not get a ton of it. But if you, like, dig into it, it's like, oh, so Marathon's a game about, like, you're playing a security guard on a um, uh, on a space station, right? And if you dig into it, it's, like, a conspiracy that goes back to, like, I think the French Revolution in, in like, in the game lore. And it's like, what? Um, so, you know, <coughs> I highly recommend watching the video. And understanding, basically, you can like see a clear through line from like from marathon like you know you can see like a very clear through line from marathon to halo but you can definitely see kind of like their love of complex and like overwrought you know stories that comes straight out of marathon and you know has a proud lineage through halo to uh yeah to destiny so yeah. no I, I i learned a lot about marathon uh so i referenced him earlier in the podcast aaron signal he has a series called children of doom which is um essentially the philosophy is that he wants to chart the sort of path of the first person shooter right starting in uh 1991 right uh maybe 1990 right with doom and then just sort of like what is the mo you know his take on the most important fps of each intervening year and his pick for 1994 i guess it was that year was marathon right um and um first muscle game and i don't know i just i i had never like known all that i knew about marathon kind of obliquely but i never knew anything specific about it and his episode was really cool because it kind of shed the light on how marathon was um 
the progenitor, I guess, of certain tropes inside of, you know, um, the the genre that it would carry forwards kind of through to to Halo and and beyond, I guess. And I just thought that was really neat. Yeah, no. I mean, it's it's true. I would love to see actually I would like to see a, a Tim Rogers review of Marathon. I think that would be that would be great. I need to I need to just go watch the Cyberpunk one. I've like played enough of Yeah, this. me too. There's no way I'm going to go finish Cyberpunk. Yeah, I I might get like if I'm going to go back to Cyberpunk, I think I'm going to restart with the new patch, but I'm going to wait a while. I'm just going to go watch the fucking video because uh, I love Tim Rogers. Um and you know. Yep. And he's gearing up for season 2 <laughs> of uh, Action Button Reviews. So hell yeah. Um, um but yeah, um, I think that's everything I had. Um, like I said, that, that video is by Mandalore. I'll put the link in the description. Mandalore is also a great follow. Um, I've not watched a ton of Errant Signal or Folding Ideas, but you constantly mention them. So um, if you hey, want, dude, that's true. If you want to send me some links, I'll, I'll throw them in the description. Um, but uh, uh, if you'd like to uh, tell us what you thought about any of the stuff we talked about on this podcast, you can. Um, <laughs> Excuse me. Reasons of at gmail.com or podcasts of You can follow us on Twitch.tv slash Games. These go out live. You can talk to us there. You can see our, 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 our probably our most active fan, uh, Aluria, talking back and forth with us about different things. Um, uh, what else? Uh, we've got uh, rate review us on iTunes and wherever you find podcasts, all that other good stuff. We've, we're in a bunch of places. Uh, that's everything I have, buddy. If anything else you're looking to promote, I do have one small thing I'm looking to promote, which is this Thursday we're releasing Behind the Frame for PS4 and Nintendo Switch. So the the console ports for Behind the Frame, which is a game that we released last year in August of last year, um, coming out, which is cool. Uh, but the thing that I wanted to pitch about this is that I'm doing a launch party stream, uh, which we're calling the Buddy Ross stream, because I'm going to dress up like Bob Ross and play the game RPing, I guess. I don't know what acting like Bob, Bob Ross. Everybody seemed to go nuts for this idea, so I just wanted to plug it here uh, because you know. No, yeah, makes sense. That's <laughs> the world that we live in. I will. I will. Um, uh, what, is, what was I going to say? I I will vouch for uh, the the game behind the frame. Right, I got the name right. Oh, you played it? I play. I played it on. It came out on mobile, right? Mm, mm. Right, we talked about yes, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. You played it on mobile. Um, and I, like, you know, it's uh, it's not a long game, but it's a super, like, it is It is a very cool game in that kind of, like, it's it's more than a walking simulator, but it's, it's yeah. like, in that kind of, like, you know, uh, art house, I guess, almost, um, indie vibe, combined with, like, you know, a couple of plot twists that I thought were pretty cool. So, you know, two thumbs up from me on, on that game. So, you know. Okay, well, that's it. All right, well, with that, I'm going to say uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.